0: The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and he sat beside the sea. And a great crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and he sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach Other seeds fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them and Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain some a hundredfold some sixty some thirty He who has ears let him hear verse 10 The disciples came to him then and said why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them to you It has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven But to them it has not been given For the one who has more will be given For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they've closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes, snatches it away, uh, what has been sown in the heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what is sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for the one... Uh, As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, in another, sixty, and in another, one hundred. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Long text, I know. So, on our journey through the book of Matthew, we have learned a lot about the kingdom of God, which is synonymous with the kingdom of heaven. Same thing. Those those terms are just interchangeable, all right? So, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. That's kind of the meta-narrative of the book of Matthew. It's one of the main themes that he is always bringing up. Now, when we talk about God's kingdom, I'll just remind you, we're not necessarily talking about a place But we're talking about the reign of God, the rule of God, particularly reigning in the hearts of men and women. The kingdom of God is is about moving from this place of darkness and moving into this kingdom of light. It's a beautiful thing. This is a dark world and Christ has come to inaugurate God's kingdom and he is inviting people into that kingdom. We're in a new section today in the book of Matthew. Chapter 13 uh, includes a lot of what we call parables. This is the third of five of Jesus' discourses that Matthew includes. Number one was the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7. Number two, found in chapter 10, that's when Jesus commissions his apostles. And now today, we find this third uh, discourse And these are parables to teach further about the kingdom of God. All right? So this is worth listening to. Parables, if you're not familiar with them, they are simple stories that are used to illustrate a spiritual lesson. You could say this, that they are earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. Stories like allegories, parables, illustrations... You know what? They are uniquely powerful uh, in that they are able to really, really drive home a point, right? I mean, they grab our attention. They grip our emotions. Stories make us think differently, and, and, and they make us think deeply. I mean, if I, if I tell you a story and there's some moral or spiritual point to it, you've really got to meditate on that story. Let me just give you an example of, of the power of Of stories we've talked a lot in this church about the difference between mere belief in Jesus and saving faith right it's like well to only believe intellectually in the facts of the gospel that Jesus uh, lived that he died and that he is now risen like that's good to believe that but if that's where your understanding of Jesus or your relationship with Jesus stops there's an issue Lots of people believe in those things, but it doesn't mean you're saved. See, saving faith, what's it do? It moves beyond the intellect, the mind, and it reaches the heart. So it doesn't just say, well, you know, I believe in the the gospel. Sure, that's great. But it says, oh, I'm submitting my life to this Jesus. Amen? There's a big difference. So many of you have heard me uh, just kind of regurgitate that teaching over and over and over, and you understand it hey, <laughs> I hear an echo. What's that? That's all right. So here, here's the thing. Um, let me just tell that same or, or drive home that same principle in a different way. This is a, a popular illustration. I want you to think about an airplane. All right, go to that next slide for me. I want you to think about an airplane. You might believe in the fact that an airplane could get you from one airport to another, right? You might say it is the best mode of travel for long dis- distances. You may be fascinated with airplanes. I mean, you might marvel at them. You might even be an aviation mechanic. But all of that understanding and marveling will not get you from one taxiway through the air to the other. In order for that plane to do what it was designed to do, what do you have to do? You've got to get in the plane, and you've got to trust the pilot. I think you get the point, don't you? You can come to church. You can believe intellectually that Jesus exists, and and you can even marvel at him. You, you You hear the Bible, and you go, wow, he's amazing. But if you don't get in the plane... He can't move you from one kingdom to the other. If you don't don't come to him and and entrust him with your life, you can't move from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of death into the kingdom of life. Stories are powerful, aren't they? Well, today I want to talk about why Jesus used parables so often to teach. Um, In addition to, they're just powerful way to to teach, right? There's another reason that Jesus used parables. So I want to address that first, and then I'm going to try my best to move through the first parable that we read today, uh, the parable of the sower, and kind of explain that. Are you ready? All right. Why did Jesus use parables? Look with me at verses 10 and 11. (coughs) Excuse me. The disciples came to him. They asked this, Jesus, why do you speak in parables? And he answered them, to you, it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it's not been given. So there's a dual purpose to this use of parables. Number one, it's to communicate the truth to some. But hear me, it's to conceal the truth from others. Now stay with me. I know it's a little bit confusing, start perplexing at least. See, understanding parables has nothing to do with your IQ. Nothing to do with intellect. And I know that because Jesus says that the truths of the kingdom have been given to some. When you see that have been given, the implication is that it's from God. God has given these secrets of the kingdom to some. That spiritual revelation, listen, it is a gift from God. And so Jesus uses parables first to communicate the secrets of the kingdom to what we might call the tender-hearted people. Okay? He uses parables to communicate the secrets of the kingdom to the tender-hearted. Look at verses 11 and 12. And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. Now I want you to go with me, if you would, one book over to the book of Mark, chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Same parable is there, and I just want to read these two verses. And when Jesus was alone, those around him with the twelve... Asked him about the parables, and he said to them, To you it's been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Now, why did I read that part? Well, I want you to note that it's not just the 12 apostles to whom Jesus is revealing the secrets of the kingdom to. There are others who are seeking the Lord, and he is revealing the secrets of the kingdom to them as well. It's not just the 12 apostles. All right? And you know that even today, it's so wonderful. Listen, God is under no obligation to reveal his truth to us. He owes us nothing. But do you know, even today, through his word, he still re- reveals the secrets of the kingdom. Everybody's looking for a word from God. A word from, all, oh, pastor, I need a word. Brothers and sisters, I have the word for you right here. This is what you need. This is the main way you hear from the Lord. Amen? So Jesus uses these parables to teach the disciples and those who sought Him in the first century and us to teach us the secrets of the kingdom, how to enter the kingdom, how to live by kingdom principles. And then, number two, He uses the same parables, this is perplexing, to conceal the secrets of the kingdom to wh- who we might call the hard-hearted. Okay? So communicate to one group, but conceal to another group. Now, why? <laughs> are you... St- anybody scratching their head right now? So here's, here's one perspective. We, this is the Calvinist perspective. If you don't know what Calvinism is, it's okay. Here's the Calvinist perspective. They would say, um, God has chosen some people to be saved called the elect. And that for these people, Jesus knows who they are and he has revealed... These truths to them. But there are others. Who are not elect. They're, they're not quote unquote chosen by God. Go to, go to that next slide please. They're not chosen by God. And so they're just doomed. And they don't get the truths of the kingdom. And they would say God is just in doing this. Because we all have sinned and deserve hell. But out of grace God saves Some by his choosing so that's the calvinist perspective so that's they think that's what's going on here and maybe there's great theologians who who you know are calvinists um but i i lean a little bit differently on this i i think it's i think my interpretation and it's not my interpretation uh, i didn't coin it but but i think this interpretation is a little bit more faithful to the context Jesus, here it is, Jesus reveals the secrets of the kingdom to those who receive him and he conceals the secrets of the kingdom to those who persistently reject him and the gospel. I think that's what's going on, okay? Let me give you some reasons for that. Number one, I think that 2 Peter 3, 9 is very clear that the Lord desires all to come to repentance. Do you believe that? He desires all to come to repentance. But uh, I think a more compelling case, even than that, is just the context. Remember, if you take a, a text out of context, what do you have? A pretext. Which means it's false. It's not what the author intended, right? So, think about what's been happening in, in Matthew, particularly in Matthew 11 and 12. And really, from chapter 5 on, Jesus has been going around clearly proclaiming the arrival of the kingdom it's not a cryptic message right the kingdom of god is at hand repent john the baptist even before jesus preparing the way the kingdom of god is is at hand repent and remember he was baptizing people left and right he was telling everyone (laughs) repent the kingdom of god is breaking in and then Jesus, through numerous miracles, remember, he's been showing that he is Israel's long-awaited Messiah. So he's been going about calling everyone to repentance, telling them how to enter the, the kingdom of God, namely through Him. And then I want to point you back to Matthew chapter seven, verses seven to eight. Remember what Jesus said there? "Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek." And you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. Listen, for what? Everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Think about that. What's happening in the parable? And, and as Jesus is telling this parable in chapter 13, there's a group of people who do what? They ask Jesus to explain what he's doing to them and if you ask you receive but you and and as jesus went about you you remember um there were many who received him followed him like his disciples trusted him but then you had those were kind of who were indifferent towards him you had those who in spite of clear evidence that jesus was of god they rejected him you remember some of the pharisees even said that he was of the devil I think that's who Jesus is keeping the secrets of the kingdom from. And and here's what I want you to see. Uh, Here's what I think. The parable follows unbelief. Or the hiding of the parable, you could say, follows unbelief. It's not that um, Jesus is hiding some secrets so you won't believe. It follows the rejection of Jesus. Jesus. And now here we move to to, to chapter 13. And and Jesus begins revealing, though, these truths about the kingdom to those who have received him. But he's hiding them from those who have rejected him. I want to point you to verses 12 through 15 here. For the one who has, more will be given. That's interesting, isn't it? He will have an abundance But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So for the one who has, I think those are the ones who have received Christ. They've believed the message of the kingdom. So now you're going to get even more. But to you who have rejected the message of the kingdom, I've given it to you. I've offered it to you. I'm even taking that invitation away because of your hardness of heart. And then Jesus does something here. Um, or, or Matthew tells us, uh, or he says to them, this is why I speak to you in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing that they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is filled, fulfilled, and he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6. And what we see here, we're reminded about in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is speaking to a hard-hearted Israel a generation that has fallen away from the Lord. They're not interested. The Lord Lord has blessed them immensely. They have turned their hearts from the Lord. And and, and by the word of the Lord that came to Isaiah, he tells them, listen, you have eyes, but you're blind. You have ears, but you can't hear what I'm telling you. And And the prophet is to speak to them in a way in which they will not understand those who are hard-hearted because they've rejected God. Here's what I think is happening in Matthew. Here's what I think we see this in chapter 13. Parables serve, hear me, as a form of judgment. Do you know one of the ways in which God judges this uh, people on this earth? Don't miss this. They give you what you want. He gives you what you want. You want to sin? You want to disobey his word? If you are persistent enough in that aim, here's what he says, fine. Go read Romans chapter 1. He'll give you over to it, and that's not good for you. You think, oh yeah, I get what I want. No, you don't. (laughs) Trust me. Because sin, as it's been said, takes you further than you will want to go, will cost you more than you want to pay. If you resist, the lord long enough in his word and you just say ah i'm just going to keep making i know what the bible says but listen i know what's best for my life sometimes the lord will say fine and so the pharisees in particular here i think are receiving the judgment owed to them because they have rejected the lord they are determined not to hear the message of the kingdom so he says fine i'll take it from you that's what's happening all right now let me talk about the parable of the sower, this first parable. Let me, under, uh, let me unpack that. So the Lord's using this parable and all the parables to communicate and to conceal. You with me so far? All right. Parable of the sower. This is wonderful, wonderful parable. Verses 3 through 9, he, he tells the parable. And I, I won't read that again, but I'll just kind of paraphrase it here. Uh, the parable is taken from the agricultural methodology of the first century. All right, Uh, seed was sown in that day and that culture differently than what it is today. When it came time for planting, here's what would happen. The sower would have this large bag, kind of satchel over his uh, shoulder, and it was filled with the seed that he was going to plant. Now, in our country, what do we do in, in this day and age? We plow a field and then we sow, right? I think any farmers in here that can back that claim up? All right, so we plow, then sow. They didn't do that in the first century. What they would do is they would go about the field and they would scatter the seed, and then they would go back and plow it into the ground, hoping that it would germinate. Well, when the sower would scatter the seed, and remember the ground's not plowed, so it doesn't catch, right? What can happen when the wind blows, what happens to those small seeds? They, they blow where the, you know, the, the wind takes them, right? So that's what's going on here. So to teach about the kingdom, Jesus uses this everyday gripping and beautiful illustration to teach about the kingdom of God. And so here's what he says. Here's the the parable essentially. He says when when the sower goes out and and he's sowing, he says, listen, um, some of the seed's caught by the wind and, and it lands on the hardened, beaten path. And the birds they come by and they snatch it away because it doesn't go into the ground. Good for the birds, right? Bad for the farmer. Some of the seed would fall on this shallow, rocky ground. And so it would, it would go into the earth just a little bit, but it, its roots couldn't get beyond the rock. And so it would sprout up real quick, real quickly. But then what would happen? The sun would scorch it and it would wither away. It had no, it did not have deep enough roots, and then some of the seeds, as a as the sower was was scattering that seed, it would fall on the parts of the ground where there are other things such as thorns and thistles, like your flower bed, right? Why is it that we can? I mean, weeds and, and thorns and things grow without us even trying, but you can put Miracle Grow, you can pray over, anoint your flowers with oil, and uh, you know you can water them religious them religiously. But they won't grow. I wish it was cool to have weeds in your garden. My yard would look great. But what happens, those thorns and thistles grow amongst the crop. And what happens? It robs those, it takes the nutrients from those other plants. It chokes out those those crops, right? And then finally, the good news, some of the seed would fall, and hopefully most of it, would fall on healthy, uh, nutrient-rich ground, The rain would come, the seed would germinate, and a plentiful harvest, plentiful crop would come, right? That's the goal of any farmer, I think. And then Jesus, after telling the parable, here's what he says, he who has ears, let him hear. In other words, he's saying, this is worth thinking about. I'm not just giving you a lesson on agriculture, right? I want you to see the deeper meaning. It's like watching the Chronicles of Narnia or Lord of the Rings or reading them or whatever. There's a a deeper meaning. There's something else going on. And Jesus says, think about this. And then helpfully, Jesus helps us with this first one, right? And he gives us the interpretation. This is what amazes me. I've had people come to me and give me some crazy interpretation of this. I'm like... That's not right. Oh, yeah, the Lord gave this to me. I said, no, actually, if you read down, the Lord did give it to you in writing. Like, gee, there's no controversy here, really. So who does the sower represent? Jesus Christ. This is implied with the context. Remember, he's gone about preaching and he's sowing seed all the time. Now, That's confirmed in verse 37 when he talks about another parable. It says, he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. Son of Man is Jesus' favorite title for himself. All right? So, I I will say this, that now that Jesus has ascended and he's at the right hand of the Father, I think he uses us to proclaim, to to sow the seed, right? Right? He does. It's still him. He's still the sower. But we are, again, we're vessels that the Lord uses. All right? So he is the sower. Well, what is the seed? He tells us, verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, what has been sown in his heart. The seed is the word of the kingdom, i.e., the gospel Jesus has been going around proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Go back to Matthew chapter 4, and Matthew gives us this summary, this thesis of what Jesus was going to be teaching on. He went around preaching and teaching and doing the work of the gospel of the kingdom. That's what the seed is. So, the seed that we are to sow as believers is the seed of the gospel. Then, thirdly, the soil represents different responses to the gospel. Or you could say different people groups. All right? Now, don't miss this because I want you to see where you fit in here. I'm almost done. The hardened path, remember that hardened, beaten path, the well-traveled path? That path represents those who have rejected Jesus. Look at verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Don't miss this. Those who have blatantly rejected Jesus like the Pharisees, they've rejected the message of the kingdom in spite of clear evidence, they are this hardened path. And what's interesting is that it's the religious leaders who have blatantly rejected Jesus. It's not the, the, the Roman pagan people, the, the few that have already heard the gospel. Jesus has marveled at, 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 at particularly one of the, the, those men's faith. It's a beautiful thing. I think we've, need to pause for a moment because I think that it's still today the religious, the self-righteous who have the hardest of hearts because they don't see their true need for a Savior. They've not gotten into planes, so to speak, right? You think, oh, I know this stuff. I know the Bible frontwards and backwards. So did the scribes and the Pharisees. And yet their hearts were far from the Lord. And so these people have hearts. Remember the enemy comes. That's what the birds represent. The enemy comes and snatches away the word. And you know that the devil still today, his, his goal is to make some of you unable to hear the word of God. Even today, maybe online, maybe in here, you hear, you're hearing this word, but your, your, your heart is impenetrable. It's so hardened towards the things of God that you're not moved. You're not moved, and that's a scary place. I just pray that the Lord would soften your heart. Number two, second soil, the the rocky ground. This represents the spiritually weak, we could say. Spiritually weak. Look at verses 20 and 21. And for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but he endures for a while. And when, here it is, tribulation or persecution comes on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So at the end of chapter 12... You remember Jesus heals this demoniac. He's mute and, uh, and, and uh, blind. And Jesus heals and delivers the man in the moment. And do you remember the, the crowds? What do they do? How do they respond? They marvel at Jesus. But then Jesus addresses them as the Pharisees are conversing with him. Here's what the people are, the, the crowds, the general crowd is dealing with. They see Jesus and they think, oh man, I want to follow this guy. But in, in their other ear, what's happening? They hear the voice of the mockers. They see the persecution that's coming upon Jesus. And they think, man, if I'm one of his disciples, one of his followers, that's going to come to me. I mean, remember, they're already seeking to end Jesus' life. So they're going, wait, I mean, on one hand, he's really awesome. But already they're on the fence and some of them are walking away. Because they don't want to be persecuted. We all know people who have run to the altar proclaiming their love for Jesus, right? And they express faith in Christ, but their faith has does not have deep roots. Why? They're not really grounded into Christ fully. And we know this because at the first sign of trouble or persecution, what happens? They're nowhere to be found. You know what? One of the reasons that I believe I have a righteous indignation towards what we call the American gospel is because it sets people up to be these kinds of weak Christians. You're familiar with one of the most popular, quote unquote, religious books of our day, Your Best Life Now with the Smiling Face on the Cover. Friends, if this is your best life now, that means you're not heaven bound. That book teaches, and this is what the whole movement teaches, a lot of your TV preachers, be careful who you listen to, beloved. They teach you that if you come to Christianity and you have enough faith that your wildest dreams will come true, that if you have enough faith, you'll never be sick, you'll always have enough money. And By the way, that part only works in America. Go go try that in Africa. And people are being duped there as well, by the way. And what are they saying? If you'll give to my ministry, oh, then you'll, you'll have abundance forever. You'll never be poor. You'll never go without abundance. And, you know, your cup will be running over, so to speak. So it's, it's this kind of presentation of Christianity as like a, all rainbows and cupcakes And you just read the Bible and you know it's not this. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul, he's talking about the resurrection. He's arguing about the historicity of the resurrection. He said, if Christ is not raised and we have hope in this life only, you know what he says? We of all people are most to be pitied. Now, if we had the greatest of riches and health and all this stuff in this life and life was just comfortable, why would he say that? He would say, oh, even if Christ is not raised and there's no resurrection in the end, we're still the best off in this world. He says, no, if Christ is not raised, you're crazy to follow this. Go live for the world. And so what happens when we sell people this false gospel, it sets them up to be jaded and disillusioned. And so when trouble comes and their health fails, and listen, I believe in healing, but... It doesn't always come in this life. It will come. Listen, there's a day when we'll all be healed. We'll all be rich beyond our wildest dreams. And it will be for all of eternity. But that is not promised in this life. And when we tell people that, they become jaded and they walk away. Because they think this God is not real. it's interesting that we preach that, but Jesus says the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. But you, if you have enough faith, because Jesus apparently didn't have enough, you can live in a, you know, 10-story mansion, high-rise if you want. All the floors will be yours, right? You can buy Trump Tower for yourself and live in every apartment. There you go. So... What happens is these people, they haven't counted the cost of following Jesus. And they see his miracles and they read the story. And there are people like this today, oh, give me that Jesus. But they're not prepared for the trouble to come. And when it does, they're crushed and they walk away. They fall away, it says here. They can't handle it. Third soil. The thorny ground represents the double-minded. And this is what we see most often in our country. Matthew 13, 22, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but listen, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves to be unfruitful. Again, this is someone who seems to respond favorably to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But this person goes about and, and, and this person has not truly repented From their sin they haven't turned from the world and to the Lord what have they done they've just tried to tack on Jesus to their life think about this another illustration imagine today if if a a person walked into this building and was dressed really really in raggedy clothes smell to high heaven right They walk in and we see them and this church is so generous and one of you says listen I'm gonna i'm gonna buy you some clothing And i'm gonna rent you a hotel room to stay at and i'm where you'll have a shower and all that And let's say next sunday. They come back and they're wearing the new clothes But they haven't taken off the old clothes. They've got like layers on And they haven't utilized the shower so they they look on the outside they've got the new clothes but they smell the same there's the same stench. Think about that. That's what some supposed supposed Christians try and do. They come down, "Oh Lord, I want you," but they do not turn from the world. They just try to tack Jesus onto their life. And you know that because when they make decisions about themselves, about their family, about how they'll serve and how they'll give, they don't ask, what is, they they ask themselves, what is best for me? In other words, they're still on the throne, not what decision is most glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. That person is double-minded, and what did Jesus say? Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. He loves one. He hates the other. Listen, you cannot serve God in money. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I have a great friend. My heart is broken for him because this is a man who used to boast of his love for God. and, And he was a prayer warrior and was faithful to church. But about the entire time I've known this man, uh, he, he's tried to, to reconcile these two worlds and bring them together. Well, I can serve the Lord, but I'm I've, I've still going to just keep some of these issues. Well, the issues, the sins have grown and festered and gotten worse to the point today where he has completely chosen the world and walked away from the Lord. And my heart breaks. May God grant him repentance even today. We all know people who fall into this category. They long for the things of the world. Power, prestige, all of those things. It's interesting. Uh, I had a lady come to this church. She used to go here long ago, and then she visited again. And a very nice, um, wonderful young lady. But she... We, it came time to offering. I said, what... what she came on a Wednesday night. We don't normally take offering on, on Wednesdays. If people want to give, they can, but we don't make a point. She said, well, I want to give. I'm here because I want to give a check. She said, I'm having financial issues, and, and something along these lines happened years ago. This is um, the best that I can remember uh, this, how, how it went. But she says, essentially, um, I, I'm, I'm using the parable of the sower, and I'm doing what Jesus told me to do. I'm putting my seed, my money, into the ground, and then I'm expecting a 30, 60, 100-fold harvest. And I said, ma'am, um, that's not what that parable is about. Oh, yeah, yeah, my, my pastor told me. I said, well, that's not what Jesus says. Let's just go down a few verses. And her face drops. And I just think it's, that's a popular interpretation. I, I looked up. That's all over the Internet. Um... But what's interesting about this is that the interpretation is the antithesis of what Jesus is saying. And by the way, I believe God blesses those who give generally. But that's not what this is about. These preachers are warning against, they're they're taking a passage that's about staying away from worldly pleasures. And they're saying, well, if you do this, you're going to have worldly pleasures. (laughs) You see the irony there. So there you go. That soil represents the, the world. And I hope you're not there. I hope you're not trying to reconcile your own, being the God of your own life and the pleasures of this world, power and prestige and greed. I mean, think of Judas. Isn't this what happened to him? Apostle who following Jesus for three years and then greed choked out the gospel, the word of the kingdom. But finally, the good news. The good soil represents those who wholeheartedly receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's unbelievable. Matthew thirteen twenty three. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it, and he indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundred and one sixty and in another thirty. What's going on here is is the Gospels proclaim some will be saved. Some will be saved. And we will know that these people are saved by the fruit of their lives, the fruit of the Spirit, good works. Their words will change because in Christ they are new creations. And ultimately, hear me, do you know what the final test is for salvation? For those who are truly in Christ, it is perseverance. Perseverance to the very end it's perseverance to the very end there is no salvation ultimate salvation without without perseverance they will not not fall away because of persecution Um, the word will not be choked out because of their love for the things of this world but those who persevere we will ultimately be vindicated and will forever be with the Lord now before i close here let me just make one note the pressure to make it to the end is not on you jude says that he's the one who's able to make it keep us from falling excuse me so that means that you're if you're in christ if you abide in christ he is the strength of your salvation amen he's the one who won't let you go I'll leave you with this question. What kind of soil are you? I don't just assume that because you're in church that you are the soil that is bearing spiritual fruit. Let me ask you, do you have a tender heart from the Lord? As I'm preaching, is your heart pierced by the Word? Or is the enemy coming and snatching it away? It's interesting that sometimes... Immediately when I start preaching People all of a sudden not have got to run to the restroom i got to go out Because The preaching Now sometimes that really happens So if you walked out today This is not a Passive aggressive way For me to call you out But I'm just saying It's a normal thing Like the same people every week Oh Word of God Got to walk out got to, I mean it's like I don't know if the devil's Making you have to use a restroom I don't know if he's capable of that But something's going on here Is your heart tender? Do you long for God's word? Does it pierce your heart? Let me ask you this. Are you willing, are you able by God's grace to sustain persecution? Have you prepared your heart for that? Or will that rocky soil choke out the word from you? Will it it cause you to, to wither away in the sun, the scorching sun of persecution? Are you wholeheartedly devoted to Jesus or are you double-minded are you trying to reconcile love for this world and a love for God it doesn't work Jesus has to be the treasure of your life there's no room for any other gods are you bearing spiritual fruit do you have persevering faith that is truly rooted in Christ I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing the song. And I just threw this on Zach and Bob this morning. God bless them. But um, we're going to sing this new hymn, He Will Hold Me Fast. We're going to thank the Lord for that those who are truly in Christ, abiding in Him, that He will hold us. Amen? If you don't know the Lord today, if you're not that good soil, if you're not bearing spiritual fruit, I invite you to come to this altar. Father in heaven. Pierce our hearts today with your word, oh God. Let us hear the Holy Spirit. May the word that was preached, may, may it call to us. May we have ears to hear what the Spirit's saying, what the word is saying. May we respond appropriate, appropriately. If there's any here that do not know you as Lord and Savior, if they've not yet gotten on the plane, God, may today be the day that they travel from the, the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Help us, Lord. May we repent in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org.